Johnson. Hallelujah. Y'all need to say that. <laughs> For so many reasons. I can't even begin to tell you all of the reasons why we could be saying hallelujah. Yes. Today is Resurrection Sunday. So I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. I rise. I rise. I rise. So today, no matter what happens, I'm encouraging you to affirm and know I rise. Somebody would say, come on, and yet I rise. And still I rise. Yes, yes, and still I rise. Come on, Dr. Maya. So look, on our adventure in faith, I want to to just quickly do a little time travel here, a little space travel, because I want to acknowledge that an adventure in faith, at least in my view, for Brian Stevenson, who founded the Equal Justice Initiative in Alabama, the museum, it's expanding. And his vision is that it is forever expanding, that they will continue to include more and more ways to to honor um, African Americans and our trek and our experience in these United States. So what I want to share with you is that this began in 2018 when he opened the National Memorial for Peace and Justice which was the nation's first memorial dedicated to the legacy of enslaved black people who've been terrorized by lynching, African-Americans humiliated by racial segregation and Jim Crow, and people of color burdened by contemporary presumptions of guilt and police violence. Our beloved member and activist sculptor, Dana King has a beautiful piece there as well. <clears throat> In 2021, he, they opened, Equal Justice Initiative, opened a new and greatly expanded legacy museum that provides a comprehensive history of the United States with a focus on the legacy of slavery. Just last week, it was expanded to include a community reckoning, which includes a sculptor by artist Branley Cadet that represents thousands of people around the country engaged in community remembrance work. The sculptor, the sculpture rather, Arise dramatizes the work of local citizens helping their communities remember and reckon with history. And so very specifically, heart and soul, what I want to share with you is you can see a view of it. My sense is you have to go to Alabama to actually see the whole thing uh, up close and personal. But the, the woman who is, whose head is just below the signage there is your senior and founding minister. And so you see in this next slide the um an a close up of that Aww. 
I am so honored to be a part of, of Branley's beautiful work of the six of us in representing. So I am simply representing black Americans who are doing the work. It's not, it's not a tribute to me, let's be clear. It's a tribute to us. And I am just grateful because in my mind, it is that heart and soul is represented there. The work that we do, the truth of who we are and how we are and who we be is in my mind and in my heart represented in this amazing museum and his special, special work. So I wanted you to see that, and I think this next slide also gives you a sense, because there also are 50 placards, if you will. That's what you see in the background there, that signage, all of which represent and detail, if you will, or speak to lynchings throughout the United States. And there's no way that you could have enough signage that could capture all of it. Um, but it is to bring a level of reckoning and remembrance. And so heart and soul, I just want to say, let's be about it. Let's be about it. I am so, so grateful for the work that our imagining, that the work that imagining justice is and that they do, because the intention is to forever keep it before us. Keep us aware that we still, no matter how far we've come, we got a ways to go. And we can go the way. You know, that often I see it as a relay, that somebody is forever in this position you know, ready to hand it off. And what's different in the way that we are living it and being it and knowing it is that in a typical relay and track, you don't get back in. You know what I mean? You hand it off and then your part is done. This ain't that. In this, we hand it off and then you get into a position for the next handoff. And then you rest up. And you learn something more to come back and there you go, picking it up again, yes? So this is the work that we're committed to. And it is in this same vein that I'm forever building a team, my own resource team, those folks that, that support me in what I am called to be, do, and, and have, and, and share for heart and soul, but also those folks that, that are a part of um, what I'm going to call my learning circle. And what's a beautiful thing about this is that, that for some of my learning circle, it began by me surrounding myself with mentors and folks from whom I would learn. And then there's a point at which, and I'm so grateful for my teachers and their, their awareness and their, their, their huge hearts for that point in time when they say, oh, I learned that from you. That's a piece. So we, we, it's my learning circle. And Dr. Will Coleman is a key member, a founding member of the, of the Reverend Andriette Learning Circle. And so for for good reason, because he is a theologian for my heart. And they're not all created equal. There is, and, and I'm taking nothing away from the mastery that is in the world 
around theology. But Dr. Will brings something else. He's willing to know something more. He's willing to look at theology from an African perspective, which means that he's, he's reading it in Hebrew, and he's, even, he, he's looking at it to, to then translate it from, from the Greek and the Latin and so that we get a clear understanding because what? We understand our history. We understand our history in a way that we, we understand that there have been changes. This is why the museum is so important. See, that we're always just talking about one thing. I know that looked like a separate little piece. But that's important to understand so we can always get to what is it that we need to know at any given time and in any situation. He, well, he's Dr. Will, number one. He completed his Doctor of Philosophy degree Right here in the Bay Area, I say he was breathing that rarefied air at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley and, and uh, laid the groundwork for being with us. He's done years and years of research and writing and has teaching experience and applying the principles of Hebrew and Christian Bible study and spiritual African spirituality for the enrichment of spiritual and psychological health. I am just grateful. This is not the first time, nor will it be the last, that he will grace us. What I love about what the uh, COVID taught us in terms of how we responded is that he can be with us even without traveling. And so I am grateful that the next speaking voice you hear after this next song will be my beloved brother, Reverend Dr. Will Coleman. Good morning, Reverend Andre Earl, my dear sister, and Heart and Soul Center of Light and Blessed Resurrection Sunday to you, and congratulations. I think we should give uh, Reverend Dr. Andre Earl another applause, as well as the congregation, for this honor she has received. And I also would like to say, that just as she has claimed me through Berkeley for my PhD, I claim her and all of you all from Memphis, Tennessee, especially after that song you just sang, that's, uh, that's, that's Memphis right there. So I claim all of you, and I'm so glad to be here because, as she stated, it is truly a blessing for me to virtually fly to Heart and Soul, be with you, and then fly back to Atlanta. Uh, it's, it's, it's been for me 12 years of working and living in this virtual reality. And so I'm just so glad to be with you, so honored to be with you, so glad to be my, with my beloved sister. And again, congratulations to all of you. You have my love on this Sunday. As I listened to my sister talk about imagining justice I thought about the idea also of imagining resurrection justice. And as she described um, my various accomplishments and my, my passion for bringing especially the biblical text into the contemporary context with an understanding of its roots and especially of its African roots. My mind also went back earlier this morning to something I didn't think I would talk about but I do want to begin with this kind of prelude as she was stating where I got my degree and 
how I work with languages now especially, I thought about there was a time when this was not so. I'm blessed now to be 68 years young. But I recall that in my early 20s in Memphis, Tennessee, at a particular point in my life, I was working in a factory that was called a plantation. And in that factory, I had primarily one or two assignments. One assignment was to be at the end of a conveyor belt and to take 50 pound boxes and place them from that conveyor belt onto a pallet as fast as I could and to load that pallet up so that someone else would come with a forklift and carried it away. And to do that all day with only a 10 minute break and a 30 minute lunch break. The other related assignment was <laughs> before Karate Kid came out, I sat on a chair, a folding chair with a laborer on my left side. Oh, it was on my right side and a stack of labels on my right side with a rag. And I had to put those labels on as fast as I could because the boxes were coming down stacked one behind the other on that conveyor belt and then wipe them on the boxes. I also recall that because I had a mouth in that plantation, a mouth for justice, I received several assignments of injustice, special assignments to do things that others did not particularly want to do. Those were my assignments. Those were my reward for, from time to time, speaking for justice. I remember one night while I was sitting at that conveyor belt in that chair, another young man about my age who must have had some sympathy for me in my situation <laughs> handed me two books. He said, read these. I looked at the books and one of them was entitled Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And the second book was entitled Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude by Napoleon Hill and W. Clement Stone. I devoured those books. And in the process of doing so, three affirmations have stayed with me from my early 20s to this very moment. The first one from Think and Grow Rich was, what the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. What the mind can conceive, conceptualize, and believe, mind, both minds, it can achieve. From the second book, Success to a Positive Mental Attitude, I still can see in my own mind a phrase, 
Your mind is a talisman. What you give it with emotional intent will amplify. Then the second phrase was this, and this has always been a fallback for me. Keep your mind on what you want and offer what you do not want. With those three among many other affirmations, I began to, in my 20s, my early 20s, hatch my plan to escape the plantation I was at and to go north in consciousness. What the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. Your mind is a talisman. It amplifies what you feed it. And thirdly, keep your mind on what you want to achieve and off of what you do not want to achieve. Now that brings me to these extraordinary women that Dr. Andrea Irland began to talk about on last Sunday and their relationship to the resurrection of Yeshua. Not just the resurrection, but in their own way, sponsoring his whole life. You remember um, last week I gave you the exercise that I do from time to time, which is if you're watching a, a movie or a video, instead of focusing only or primarily on the main characters, Focus on what's going on in the background. Who's doing what back there? And see if you can discover another movie. I hope you practice that. Because it pertains to what I want to say about these extraordinary women. I'm going to call these particular ones the triad of Mary's. And so you won't have to search for it. Let me go ahead and give you the takeaways too. You can write these down, the takeaways from what I want to say. Number one, believe and persist. Believe and persist. Number two, believe and prepare. Believe and prepare. Number three, believe and receive. Believe and receive. And number four, believe and share. Believe and persist. Believe and prepare. Believe and receive. Believe and share. The first Mary, I already hinted at on last Sunday, is Yeshua's mother. I said last Sunday that we should think about the fact that without Mary, there would be no Yeshua. All the narratives, all the signs, all the miracles, 
non-existent. Without this young adolescent Northeast African child woman being receptive to what first and foremost she had conceived of who she had conceived, however that happened, and being receptive, but also persistent to follow through, even on her own, if necessary, with what she had conceived. This child, and the narratives that we can read, was not abandoned, but she had to make a decision to receive and carry through. Yes, Joseph did become a sponsor. Yes, Joseph did protect her from being stoned to death. Yes, he was a good man. But he leaves the scene. By the time she's maybe 45 and you're sure, 30 or so, he's gone. Maybe the brother worked himself to death as a carpenter. We don't know. We do know that by this time, Mary also has at least four other children. Yeshua has two brothers who rode pistols, James and John, and two sisters who are not named. James and Jude is what I meant to say. And two sisters who are not named. So this woman is a single mother who has discovered how to find a way out of no way, take care of five children. Maybe not atypically. She bore him, the firstborn. She fed him. And I believe she taught him all of her young life to prepare him in his ministry. What other teachers he might have gotten from any place else? The primary ones came to him through his mother. We have a clue to that in the Gospel of John when she is the one who instigates his turning the water into wine. Here we go again, beloved. We look at how he turned the water into wine, but do we pay attention to the one who instigated his turning water into wine, who knew he could do it and directed him to do something that maybe he had done before under her tutelage. And she also is the one who leads him and his disciples early on in the Gospel of John to the next stages of his ministry. His mother listened as her son taught as her son, her baby, worked signs as her baby, worked with the disciples as her baby, wrestled back and forth with opposition and opponents as her baby, was set up as her baby, was tried and beaten as her son, was nailed to a cross. as she with others hoped 
that would not be the end. What a woman. What an extraordinary consciousness, as we said on last week. What an incredible imagination, not just for justice, but of justice. A mama who allows and encourages her son to share his gifts with the world and thereby she shares him with the world. We celebrate this day because of African child woman believed. The second Mary, you remember on the Sunday before last and then last Sunday, we talked about the Mary who with her sister Martha and the brother Lazarus who had been resurrected and often hosted Yeshua. And on the episode in chapter 12, we're told that she takes a container of expensive oil and she begins to anoint his feet with her hair. Can, can we see that if she anointed him with expensive oil, then she also had the means and resources for either making the oil or acquiring the oil. This is why we said she's a matron, like a patron would be masculine. Someone who sponsors someone else, who, who takes care of someone else as they're cultivating their gifts. That's what she's doing. She's not a servant. I need you to hear this. She's not inferior. She's a matron, along with her sister and Lazarus. Now, this is an extraordinary insight that came to me in my study group on Thursday, as we were engaged in a ritual of emulating what Yeshua does in chapter 13, when he, as their master teacher, decides why they're having a meal. You can tell these folks are like us because they love eating. Why are they having a meal? To take a towel and as the master, quote unquote, washes disciples' feet, to which Peter protests and says, oh, no, 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 you're not gonna wash my feet because this was the work of a slave, a servant, not a master teacher. Peter's right. Yeshua says, well, if I can't wash your feet then, you have no part of me. We're, we're not connected. Now, Peter being an extreme person, he is, now he said, oh, in that case, wash my whole body. Jesus said, no, you don't need your whole body washed. And then he makes an allusion to Jesus and says, uh, you're all clean except one of you among the 12 not clean. We all know that story. And some of us in many churches emulate that. I grew up emulating that every first Sunday along with communion. We had feet washed. But never did I ever hear, never did I ever think until this past Thursday that Mary taught Yeshua how to serve. Let me say that again. Mary had already anointed Yeshua as a matron she had. 
And she anointed him not only for his burial, but she anointed him for the triumphal entry into Jerusalem the day following. She did that. She anointed him for his coming into the city as the king. She anointed him for all that would follow during Holy Week that we celebrate. She anointed him for that. She anointed him, yes, for his burial. But inside of the anointing, remember what I said about front story, back story? Back there. She taught him how to be humble and how to serve because that's what she had done in anointing him. And he followed suit. These are my interpretations, of course. He followed suit when he anointed and washed his disciples. The oil of the Holy Spirit, the water of baptism. It is the two of them that completes a cycle of rebirthing. She leads, he follows. And there's the third Mary, Mary Madeline, the one who's been maligned the one who's been lied about. The one who was called a prostitute when she never was. She's actually the beloved disciple. Yes, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. We've been told it's John. And yes, John was beloved. But Mary was really beloved. He loved her. And she loved him. She was committed and devoted. What well, was the evidence of that? Her presence. Her presence and her persistence. We're told in Luke that among the women who are quote-unquote sponsoring Yeshua and his disciples in their mission is Mary Magdalene. And as I was reading the narratives about the number of women who were present, I just did a tabulation of the number of women who were present at the crucifixion, at the burial, and at the resurrection. She is the one who is present in all of the episodes. Now let's pause for a moment. We don't know where Yeshua's male disciples are, the one he's training and teaching. I can imagine that after he himself had been beaten, after being tried and then crucified, that these brothers were hiding. They were concerned for their lives, rightly so. No shade on them. But as we said on last week, there's something extraordinary about the women. Whether they are far off or right there, several other texts say that even as he was on the cross, even as he was suffering, they were still assisting him. They were still aiding him. They were still comforting him. 
Martha's brothers in fear, with the exception of possibly John, are not around. These women have the courage, or they have the curiosity, or they just have the persistence to be there while he's crucified. When Joseph of Arimathea, who again is a very wealthy man, and notice this, his name is Joseph, like Yeshua's father's name. Oh, adopted father was named Joseph, which means expansion. It's about expansion and consciousness, it's about expansion and resources. So Joseph's father took care of he and Mary until we no longer have any account of it. And then here at the end of his life, it's almost like bookshelves, at the end of his life, you have this disciple who's a wealthy man and who's on the council that had judged Yeshua, who takes Yeshua's body, asks Pilate for his body, and he buries him in his own, presumably, his own tomb. And the women are there witnessing. Now, there's one other thing, though. The women don't stop there. We are told that the women, I need you to hear this, beloved, we're told that the women also prepare spices so that as soon as possible, they can go and, here we go, Mary, they can go and anoint and prepare his body. Now, what's extraordinary to me, I just got to say it, is that women, not men, are going to prepare the body of Yeshua are these in the tomb? What type of women are these? What type of knowledge do these women have? Are they priestesses who know the techniques? The gnosis of preparing the body? We're not told, but they prepare. And then early on this morning that we're now celebrating, here again, the women rush to the tomb of Yeshua. The women find the tomb empty and or encounter Yeshua and or encounter angels in different accounts. And here is the piece that is so extraordinary. The women are told to go and tell the others, the men, what has happened. Do you know what that means, beloved? It means that the men were not the first apostles. It was the women. Apostolos in Greek means one who is sent to spread good news. And it is the women who are sent by the angels, sometimes not believed by the men, it depends on which text you read, and or by Yeshua himself to spread the good news. They are the first evangelists. Isn't it ironic? In some places we still say women can't preach, but here it is in this text. The women are the preachers. They're the first preachers. They're the apostles of the resurrection. And among them, and this is tradition, there's one who's called the apostle of apostles and the apostle to apostles. And that one is Mary Magdalene. Mary the mother of Yeshua, 
is the great giver of life. Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, is the great matron teacher of Yeshua in her own way. And then Mary Madeline, the beloved, I like to call her the great persister because she persists. These sisters, these women, then and now, demonstrated what it means to conceive and believe and achieve. They demonstrated that the mind is a talisman, that even in the midst of obstacles and death, quote unquote, you can see beyond it. And as you see beyond it, you can act beyond it. And they demonstrated that it's important and the reward of this to keep your mind on what you want and off of what you don't want. And then back to those four points. They believed and they persisted even at the crucifixion. They believed and they prepared. They had been prepared by Yeshua's teachings and they interacted with him and they prepared the spices and hope and transformation. They believed and they were the first to receive sight and sound of the transformation of Yeshua. And finally, they believed and they shared. They didn't keep it to themselves. They didn't keep it for themselves. But they shared what they had received with Yeshua disciples among themselves and for the world. This is their legacy that seems to be behind the scene, but it is sponsoring what is seen, including all that we believe, all that we accept, all that we attempt to emulate in our own Yeshua Christ consciousness. I said last week, these were the daughters of wisdom, the daughters of a power, a consciousness, and a way-making persistence. These women are an inspiration for us on this day to not only rightly and appropriately to remember him who rose and the power that resurrected him, but to also remember 
the power and the consciousness that inspired that, the collaboration that inspired that, and the communal aspiration that spread that. Heart and soul, center of life on this day. Let's remember them as profoundly as we remember him. And so it is. Amen. And I say. Today was Resurrection Sunday. Yes. Are y'all? Well, for these people, it was. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to the folks on the other side. It was. So are we feeling risen? Here's, here's, what, here's what my vision has been for us today, is that no matter what happened, no matter what was said, no matter what kind of historical Easter Sunday you've had, that today would be a day that you could feel something more, that something would awaken in each of us that would be the connectivity to all of us. I'm grateful, so grateful for my brother Will, Reverend Dr. Will Coleman. I am so very, very grateful because what we've experienced this morning is a message that won't happen a lot of places. It's the truth. And often, often, some of us have the awareness that more of us know. But that doesn't mean that more will share it. Because it shifts the balance of power. So my prayer for us is that we leave here today empowered. That we leave here today with a greater sense of who we are. Somebody would say whose we are. That we would have an awareness of our divine connection with the all in all. It is amazing to me that we would carry on as we have for so long, acting like we don't all have mamas. And that a mama is not required in the equation. But today, we've been reminded that house and never we are honoring how so never we are putting our puzzle pieces together, that there's a mama in the equation. That the divine feminine is present and accounted for and required in all of this. Oh, I'm grateful. Thank you, my brother, Dr. Will. Thank you. We will, he will be doing our closing prayer, so we'll have another opportunity to just bask in the presence. And I just want to say thank you again to my dear sister, Reverend Dr. Andrea Earl, on how she is representing us uh, from uh, California to the Southern Roots. I want to thank and congratulate Heart and Soul because you have made it possible. This is ironic for many, many years. I was not able to hear my sister preach or teach, but this virtual reality 
has made it possible for me, and I say it humorously, but also in reality, to fly to Oakland every Sunday, participate in the service online, and then to fly back here to Atlanta. This is important. This is phenomenal. This is extraordinary that we're able to, to do this, to share it, to commune in this form. One other thing I want to say is that, let me be clear, that when I am elevating and talking about the divine feminine, I'm also talking about the human feminine, and I'm talking about our appreciation for the fullness and wholeness of life, not to the exclusion or denigration of the, of the masculine. That's not the point. The point is the wholeness of who we are and recognizing the divine, truly divine feminine and divine masculine and how we treat each other. This for me is imagining justice as being justice. And so my blessing, therefore, is that heart and soul center light will continue to be that beacon that lives and moves and has its being in the quote unquote ruach, which is feminine, feminine spirit that gives life and gives strength and gives power. And that as you go forth with this resurrection and resurrected consciousness, that it will shine and it will continue to inspire and then it will continue to grow and spread around the world as it is now. Because you, we, continue to exercise persistence and believe that. Because we continue to prepare ourselves. Because we continue to receive and because we continue to share. I love you and I know you love me. It's a blessing that is mutual. I look forward to seeing you again on next Sunday and every Sunday that I'm able now to fly virtually to heart and soul center of life. Peace, peace, peace. Amen. Ashe and Ayibobo.